Adam, we got Phil on the line. What do you want to ask him? If you're looking at a market that's not in your backyard, what, what do you look for in a market or how do you decide on a market to invest in? I think that the key to this whole business is being a master of valuation. It's not, you know, can I get the money? It's not, you know, my grade at construction. It's truly understanding when value presents itself to you. So maybe trim it down to your highest priority target or two and go really deep in where you think you want to be. And that way, when something pops, you know, you can grab it immediately. And it's not, well, let's go throw this into the analyzer. Well, let's talk to a property manager. You already know. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe with Four Oaks Capital. I'm very excited for today's show. It's another one of our Ask the Expert episodes. Uh, we've got two great people on the line with us today. we got uh, Phil Capron and Adam Lacey. So um, first of all, you know, Phil's coming on as our experienced investor. Um, very happy to welcome you, Phil, to the show today. Thanks. Hey, Brian. So glad to be here with you, man. We've known each other for a while and I'm um, honored that uh, you asked me to, to come hang out with you today. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's been a couple of years now that uh, I think I first met you. I want to say 2018, maybe at a Michael yeah. Block. Yeah, something like that. Yep. But it's been a lot of fun. I, I very much enjoyed uh, knowing you and keeping in touch over the years. So that said, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and give us an idea of what got you into real estate investing? Sure. So I jokingly say often that I got into real estate the same way as everyone else, which is doing a tour uh, in the Navy Special Ops, being an ocean lifeguard, playing poker professionally and traveling around the country in my punk rock band. But obviously yeah. none of that's entirely true. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, that's that's how everybody does it, right? <laughs> that's right. If you, if you didn't do all those things, just forget it. Hang it up. Turn the episode <laughs> off. No. Yeah. Um, seriously, when I separated from the military, I, I knew that real estate was something that I wanted to pursue. Um, after buying my first uh, house using the VA or Veterans um, Administration loan when I was on active duty, and uh, you know, having some buddies rent rooms and living rent free, I said, "There's, there's got to be something more to this. Can I rinse and repeat this process?" So, yeah. um, unfortunately, I sold houses for a handful of years, flipped a bunch of houses. And, uh, and finally, the light bulb went off and I started buying things to keep other than a couple single families and condos. And, um, you know, so over the last handful of years, I racked up um, a little over 500 total units that I've sponsored. And the, cur- the current portfolio is about 430. I'm mm-hmm. um, working on selling some things now and just uh, position- positioning for the future. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's it. That's it in a nutshell. Don't want to take too much time yeah. and just kind of want to get yeah. into Talking, uh, talking with Adam, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So, I mean, incidentally, I mean, for, for people in the military, that VA loan is, is the starter for a lot of people. And if I remember right, you wrote a book that uh, talked a little bit about that too, right? I did. Yeah. 2019, yeah. I wrote, uh, your VA loan and how it can make you a millionaire because that yep. was, you know, the starting place for my journey. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm not sure that everyone necessarily has the same ambitions 
and wants to devote their professional life to real estate the way that I have. But I think that it, it it's going to do a world of difference for service members yeah. who do it rather than those who don't. And even after you make the decision to buy a home, you, there's some things that you should know. So yeah. um, I recommend highly that you pick up my book, um, you know, Amazon, all the proceeds are going to the Navy SEAL Foundation. Every Veterans Day, I turn them over to to that group that, you know, I, I think the world of and support, um, or, uh, you know, later in the show, when I give you like all my info, there's a digital download available for free on my website. All right. Awesome. Yeah. So definitely reach if you, if you're military or eligible for the VA loan, you know, definitely reach out, grab that book. You know, I, I did see a copy, you know, several years. I think, I think you sent me a copy to review before you published it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I, I, I did, I did read the pre-release copy. It, it's solid. So, you know, highest recommendation for that if you're eligible, but, uh, um, you know, that, that said, let's talk about, you know, one of the, you know, 400 or so units that you have right now. Can you tell us about one of the deals you've done? Sure. So um, since, you know, you've got a great concept for this show, by the way, is, you know, trying to, to, to bring up the next generation. And so I'll go with my first deal. Yep. It was a 13 unit. It's not even really an apartment building. It's four duplexes, <laughs> uh, a triplex and a couple of single families on three contiguous lots okay. in Norfolk, Virginia. And when I was working as a real estate agent, I had, you know, I was showing that to a guy who owned, you know, a handful of units in the marketplace. And I thought I was mm-hmm. going to you know, set myself up for a fat commission. I was let down when he said that he wasn't interested in the deal. The other broker came back to me and said, well, what if, you know, the seller owner finances it for him? Would he be interested? And, you know, my buyer mm-hmm. said no. So the other broker asked, well, you know, do you know any el- anyone else that would buy it if it was seller financed or a lot of it was seller financed? Mm-hmm. I said, well, would he sell it to me? He said, I don't see why not. Yeah. So uh, long story, a little shorter. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, the purchase price was 910000 We brought 100000 to close. And I'm exiting at the end of this month for $1,075,000 uh, after, I guess, about four years. Mm-hmm. So for a first deal, that's it's not terrible. Um, no, no, no. mortgage balance is seven seventy five. So, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the true profit is on the deal, but it's cash flowed over the years and I've learned some great lessons and it gave me the courage to, to go and buy almost 500 more. So that yeah. was the, that was where the real payment was in that deal. You know, my, my partners and I have talked about this a lot, you know, on our very first syndication, we ended up doing what well, a lot of people don't. We did it like a 90-10 split to make sure our investors would make money. And, and we're not making almost any money on that at all. You know, but when we look at it, the same thing you said, you know, we have learned so much from that, that it's, it was worth it. And we knew that we would. So just, just to make the numbers work for the investors, you know, we took that 90 10 split. And I, I like that you brought that up. You know, the first one, you know, the first one gets you on the map. It's a learning experience. You know, it doesn't matter if it's a home run. It's, you know, if, if it helps you grow and get to the next level. So, so this will sound super cliche, but I truly believe you need to work to learn before you work to earn. I'm not sure who said mm-hmm. that. So we'll say Abraham Lincoln or. You know, I was going like to say that. Phil, yeah. you know, Phil said that. <laughs> Definitely so. not. Somebody, somebody important said that. I just don't know who <laughs> to, to uh, you know, attribute credit, but it, it's yeah, so true. It's so yeah. true. And, um, you know, my second deal was a grand slam home run. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, proven concept and getting in the game and getting with the right people like you did with four Oaks, you know, that's, that's sort of the key in my opinion. Anyway, absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that first deal we did is what brought the team together and, and I've been very grateful for that since, but, uh, um, so, so that said, you know, something I'd like to ask everybody is kind of a question about motivation. You know, what's, what's your big burning? Why? So when I got out of the military, I said that I was never going to work for someone else again. There might have been a little resentment there. That's a whole nother topic. Uh, the fact of the matter is I'm just not employable. So if no one else is going to let me be the boss, I've got to do my own thing to be the boss. And, you yeah. know, that's what I've done since separating. And, um, you know, I've taken my lumps and, you know, learned some lessons, learned, learned before I earned. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's worked out really well for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely feel, I I think I know where you're coming from. I mean, I spend a little longer in the military and, you know, you have some good bosses, you have some bad bosses, you had good experiences, bad experiences. And I was tired of rolling the dice, you know, and I'm in the same spot where I'm not going to work for anybody again, either. You know, I'll, I'll work with my partners, but uh, you know, I'm I'm in the same boat hundred percent, but let let, let me take another stab at that and try to be slightly more articulate as it applies right. to the military, there's certain wickets you need to hit in order to promote in the military. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how good you are. It's just not going to happen for you until, you know, those benchmarks are met. It's the same yeah. thing with, with many people's jobs in corporate America or wherever they happen to be, you know, a W2 employee. I just, I don't, I don't love that. I like the idea mm-hmm. of sinking or swimming on my own based on my merits. Yeah. And, you know, not some predetermined path. Yeah. And I, you know, if, if you look at your military in general and a lot of, a lot of employers have similar structures, but, you know, you look at the pay chart and you know exactly what you're going to be making for the next, for the rest of your career, you know, and yep. early on in my career, before I really understood how investing worked, I would be like, man, two more promotions or two more years. And, Wow, look at that money that I'm making. But uh, you know, the last couple of years when I when I realized that that was really a a ceiling more than a, you know, I'm earning more and more every year, that that's when it really started hitting home with me and I really started realizing that there's a better way for me, you know. May that that may that, that way is fine for a lot of people and you know, no disrespect to anybody who takes up that route I did for 20 years, but uh yeah, I kind of like the work at your own pace, make as much money as you as as you earn approach. So it's um, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. They call it golden handcuffs for a reason. Yeah. You know, and for a lot of people, it, it's not golden handcuffs. It's exactly the life they want to live, and that's fine. It's mm-hmm. just not the life that I wanted to live. Yeah. So yeah. no disrespect, like, like you said. Yeah. I mean, 20, 20 years is what I served. I think for the first 17, that's exactly the life I wanted to live. You know, and it was it was the last couple that I started thinking about, you know, other other ways to live. And, you know, I'll be honest, the last year was painful because, you know, I I started getting a lot of traction in real estate. And, you know, it's just really painful to stay in that uh, the golden handcuff job. But uh, anyway, that, that said, what's what's next for you, Phil? So uh, I've decided to sell just about all of my holdings right now because mm-hmm. it's a pretty good time in the market and consolidate under my new company mission first capital so i know we're going to talk about that you know uh, a little bit later in the show so don't let me Mm kind of jump the gun on that but uh but yeah um i've gone from 
the syndication model, the JV model, the independent ownership model to the fund model. So mm-hmm. looking right. forward to, to talking that a little bit later. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people are moving towards towards funds, so I'm excited to hear what's uh, what's coming up for you. All right. Cool. Well, that said, let's uh, let's introduce Adam to everybody. Adam, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Brian. Phil, nice yeah. to meet you. Nice to meet you. All right. So, Adam, do me a favor, or do us all a favor, and tell us a little bit about yourself. You know where you're from. You know what you what you've been doing, and what got you into to real estate. Yeah. So I grew up in Michigan. Um, got a degree in civil engineering, spent the first part of my career as a mostly as a design engineer, designing stormwater systems and doing floodplain permitting and, and different kinds of flood mitigation systems. Um, and frankly, never really liked it. You know, it was, a, it was this thing, even from year one, it just didn't really provide me any excitement or enjoyment. But like a lot of people, you know, I went through the trouble of getting a degree. So I thought, well, yeah. now I'm trapped in this in this thing. And, you know, it, it frankly, it was depressing at times, and, but yeah. still, I just kind of kept plugging away thinking, well, maybe when I move up to management, it'll get better. Or when I do this, maybe I'll, it'll be more enjoyable. And of, of course it never did. Um, but I, I kept plugging away, I think like a lot of people. And then frankly, it took a life event for me to kind of circle back and, and reevaluate. Um, so just to paint the picture, this was November of 2016. Uh, I had a two-year-old at the time and my wife was pregnant with our second child. And, and we found out that, that the two-year-old had a tumor in his bladder, my son, Nolan, and like, yeah, Brian, I know you have kids, Phil, I'm not sure, but it's, I mean, I'm sure anybody can, can understand that like it hits you with like a ton of bricks, you know, I mean, there's nothing, nothing more devastating feeling than that. Um, so, you know, not only do you have to deal with the, the stress and the anxiety and the, just the emotional and mental exhaustion of all of that, but it's also time consuming. I mean, our life just turned into, you know, we were working 40 hours a week, you know, whatever, hanging out with our friends on the weekends. And now it's all of a sudden it's radiation treatments every day, uh, chemo at least once a week for 43 weeks, a lot of weeks, it was five days a week. And it was just, it, it was just so time consuming, you know, of course, all I want to do is be there with my son, but of course I have to work too, right? I mean, I have my, ins- not only do I have my insurance through my W2 job, but I have to put food yeah. on the table and pay the bills. So I just, you know, my work was somewhat flexible with me, of course, but, but there was limitations to that. You know, I couldn't make tele appointments. We had to hire a nanny. Thank God our friend Dion came aboard and, and was nanny for us and was able to help us get him to appointments and whatnot. But it was, it was tough, you know? Um, yeah. And then fast forward, he's in remission now, you know, he's, he, he's been in remission. Yeah. Thanks Phil. He's been in remission for four years or so. And it was tough, but, but, you know, I think going through that experience provided me a couple of things. I mean, obviously there's, there's the cliche reminder that life is short and fragile and, and, you know, there's no reason to just, you know, go through the motions. It's, it's more fun to live your life and find something to do that's fulfilling. And then, and then, yeah, the second piece of it is that I knew that I didn't like my career and I wanted to find something different. And I wanted to find something mm-hmm. that could provide me not only freedom to, if life happens again, you know, freedom to, to be where I want to be when I need to be, but, yeah. but also something where I can just feel more energized with what I'm doing and, and maybe have a bigger impact too. And that's kind of what led me through, led me to real estate eventually. You know, I just kind of look at, started looking at different, uh, entrepreneurial options and different options. And, and like a lot of people stumbled into bigger pockets and just kind of fell in love with real estate and, 
I just decided to plug away and here I am. Yeah. Just like everyone else, you know, punk ba- punk rock band, you know, professional <laughs> poker, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I forgot well, to mention my punk rock band. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank thanks for sharing that with us. I, I very much appreciate it. You know, that's it takes, you know, wow, is all I gotta say. I mean, um, I think you lived one of my worst nightmares. You know, if you, if you look at the things on, on my list of things that I never want to happen to me and, you know, it's, you know, the health of my wife and kids are probably highest on that list. So um, anyway, thanks for sharing that. And I'm, I'm glad your, your son's doing better. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so, yeah. We were very lucky. You know, everyone isn't as lucky as us. He he's okay now. So, but yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I know where, where this, this question is, is probably going to go, but we, we talk about big burning wise, you know, you, you, you kind of wove that in and out of your, your story up to now, but if you could just, you know, break that down as simple as you could, what's your big burning why? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, it, you know, obviously it, it, it spawned by the story I just told for sure, but, but my big burning why is not only to build a lifestyle that I enjoy that has freedom and impact, but I also would like to help other people do the same thing. So, and I want to mm-hmm. use real estate as my vehicle to build this real estate business up and bring people in, you know, whether it's through partnerships or coaching programs or whatnot, and just help other people kind of just find the life that they should be living. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that. All right. Now, now we come to my favorite part in the show. Um, Adam, we got Phil on the line. What do you want to ask him? Yeah. One of the questions I want to ask is, you know, as I'm looking for deals in different markets, I found that I think I've been probably spreading myself a little too thin looking in multiple markets. And I really want to kind of refocus and just focus on one, maybe two markets at the most. But so my question is, if you're looking at a market that's not in your backyard, what, what do you look for in a market or how do you decide on a market to invest in? That's a tough one for me because I'm hyper local. Okay. Like everything in my portfolio is within about an hour. There's one outlier that you know is a little bit more but other than that it's something that i can lay eyes on and visit every week if i want to just depending on the phase of the project so i'll take my best crack at the at the question it's you know you you mentioned spreading yourself too thin i think that the key to this whole business is being a master evaluation it's not you know can i get the money it's not you know my grade at construction or spreadsheets, it's truly understanding when value presents itself to you. One reason I'm very thankful for my residential real estate, you know, teeth cutting, I guess, is, you know, being in the brokerage space, working with investors, and then doing a lot of flipping and, um, you know, wholesaling myself. I became very good at understanding where there was value. So I guess the advice would be maybe trim it down to, you know, your highest priority priority target or two and go really deep in where you think you want to be. And that way, when something pops, you know, you can grab it immediately and it's not, well, let's go throw this into the analyzer. Well, let's talk to a property manager. You already know. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add, add to that. You know, I looked at the, the markets that I was in and when I started out, I wasn't in a market that I was comfortable working with. I was in the DC area, very tenant friendly laws, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that are um, not very conducive to multifamily. And I started looking outside of my, my backyard. And one question that I asked myself is 
you know, where are some places that I go to anyway? My wife was born and raised in South Carolina, and it turns out that there was a lot of really good dynamics happening in South Carolina. And, and for me, that was, that was kind of the, the trigger for me was, well, if my backyard isn't good enough, where, where are places that I already go, I already know, and I can have maybe a little bit of a competitive advantage. And so that's, that's what I started doing is looking at those. And um, Adam, I, I think you're, you're smart to narrow your focus because that helps, you know, just tie in what Phil said. You know, if, if you are focused on one area, when a good deal comes across your desk, you can immediately say, that's a good deal because I've looked at 20 or 30 or 40 others in the same market. I know for a fact, this is a good deal. So. Yeah, that's great. That's good advice, Brian. Thank you. Um, another question, I guess, somewhat related to narrowing focus is, you know, obviously in the, in the apartment syndication space, there's a lot of pieces, you know, you got to find the deals and, and raise the capital and then manage the asset. And, and, you know, I feel like my skill sets, I enjoy the hunt. I enjoy trying to find the deals and having a construction management background, I think lends itself very well to the asset management, especially managing large rehabs. But like, I'd love to find some kind of partnership or, or a partner that is really good with the marketing and the capital raising piece. So my question to you is, and um, like, give any advice for people like me looking for partners, you know, how to find partners and more importantly, maybe how to vet partners, what to look out for. So I've had a lot of partnerships, uh, a handful of JVs and, you know, a few syndications and, you know, so I've seen kind of the good, the bad, the ugly. It's difficult to see how people are going to react in, in, you know, trying situations until they're there. Um, so I would say do a deal with a person before you do like a partnership with a person. So mm. I understand that those words are sort of interchangeable in the way that we're, we're using them. So a deal would be like a joint venture partnership, but I would suggest to do that before you can go and start a company and co-branding and, you know, putting a lot of resources together to, to build something. Just, you know, try to try to see your prospective partners in, a, in, you know, a few different situations and ideally some that are not good because stuff happens in this business that is stressful. And, uh, you know, it's nice to know what kind of character um, you're dealing with uh, before it gets to, to that point when there's actually money on the line. And I've been blessed to have, you know, fantastic partners. Um, I think maybe that's more luck in my um, in my, you know, situation than, than any type of skill, but, uh, real, you know, trust your gut. And if something feels wrong, don't do it. I will say that there's plenty of people out there that have precisely the skill sets, the desires, and, you know, the, the infrastructure that you're looking to partner with. And I think what you bring to the table, the actual doing, whether it be the deal finding or the construction management is critically important. So, you know, don't sell yourself short find a great deal, you know, work with somebody with similar values and they'll see value in you just the way that you're seeing in them to provide the back back office type support. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with, with everything, you know, I'll just say the best analogy I've heard is, is it's, it's a partnership is almost like a marriage in a lot of ways. You, you want to date and really get to know people, you know, before you get in there. And the, the way four Oaks came together is, well, the way the way I met, you know, Eric Shirley, who was the first person that I met in Four Oaks, 
was we decided to start collaborating on underwriting. You know, we were both looking in, in the South Carolina area and we decided to collaborate. You know, we would share notes, we would share our underwriting, we share our numbers. Hey, this is what I'm doing here. This is what I'm doing there. But uh, yeah, date first and get to know somebody. And, you know, that's, I, I think that's the, the best way to start it out. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Uh, another question, Phil. So, how are you currently finding deals and markets? Are you mostly going through brokers and agents? Are you going direct to seller? Any 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 tips on that? Deals. That's the interesting word in this current market. Very few and far between. I only right. bought I only bought one thing in 2021, and you know it was solid. Not a grand slam, but solid. And that came from a broker relationship because I'm so hyper-focused in where I am. I see most of what's going to come out as a, as a first look kind of thing. And sellers aren't, it, it, they're not living under rocks. They understand what's happening in the marketplace. So, you know, if there is an opportunity to get something quote off market, it's not at the prices that we were looking at several years ago. Um, so as a result, I've been more or less on the sidelines the last year. Um, I know people are doing deals or, do, you know, they're doing transactions. Time will tell whether they end up being deals or not. Um, so specifically the brokerage relationships, they come from actually transacting business with those brokers. And even the ones that you may not have necessarily closed a deal with yet, they know that you closed a bunch of deals with another one in the marketplace. So they will take your call and they'll take you a lot more seriously. And it's tough because, you know, you have to do deals before that level of trust occurs. Um, short of doing that, just being, you know, the standard stuff, being very engaged when they send something out, sharing your underwriting with them, taking out, them out to meals, going deeper to see what's going on with their interests, their families, their, you know, sports teams, stuff like that. It's all, it's all tried and true, but there's nothing better than actually transacting business with you know one of those brokers do you have a standard interval like you try to reach out to each broker like once a month or once every two months anything like that or just a case-by-case basis i wish i was that organized i consider those that i do the most business with to actually be friends so you know there could be contact that has nothing to do with any business deal it's hey do you want to go surfing do you want to come over to my beach house and have some drinks would you like to you know do a double date for dinner. It's, you know, it's stuff like that because, you know, here's another cliche, cliche. It really is a people business. And I just enjoy spending time and learning about people. So not everyone is that way, but if you can put on that hat when dealing with brokers and not always see it as a means to an end, but it's just a relationship that's going to build over time. And occasionally it might result in a really big windfall for you. But if not, if you enjoy the process, I think that's a, that's a winning strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just add, add my two cents on the question. You know, we, we go through brokers for, for a couple of reasons, you know, always through brokers, but, you know, brokers spend their time 
you know, the large amount of their time building relationships with owners, you know, and so, you know, the, the, the benefit of the broker is you don't have to make hundreds and hundreds of calls to owners to find a deal because the broker's doing it for you, you know, but on the flip side, you know, right now things are so competitive that, you know, are there a lot of deals out there? I don't know, you know, and um, Phil, we're right with you. We've closed on one property in 2021. You know, we've put a lot of offers in, and, you know, a lot of times we're putting our offering like this is this is the most that we can pay for this and coming in second, third, fourth or sometimes fifth place. So, um, but yeah, for the immediate future, we're still going to be leveraging brokers. Um, but, uh, you know, here locally, I am trying to meet as many owners of properties in my local area so I can hyper focus on this area, too. And that hopefully will eventually learn, land me some deals just like it is with Phil. Great. That's good advice, guys. Thank you. So one more question, Phil, I just out of curiosity here, you mentioned earlier that your second deal was a grand slam. Do you want to take us a quick mm -hmm. overview of what happened with that one? Sure. Um, you know, so we'd prove concept with the 13 unit, right? I'm still working as a real estate agent. I'm still flipping houses, but I want more of this because the rent checks had miraculously continued to arrive for the months after I purchased that one. And I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, I'd read the books, but I was convinced something was going to go tragically wrong and I was going to lose my shirt. But no, like the rents kept arriving. I kept going to the bank and I'm like, this is great. How do I do this? But like a lot bigger. So I started getting on, on like LoopNet and Crexy and reaching out to the various brokers outside of the MLS land that I was, you know, kind of shopping in when I started and, you know, opened this whole nother universe. And again, it was about being sort of a master of valuation. There was a portfolio of 108 apartments in a neighborhood I knew very intimately. And, um, it was priced at what I, I thought was was a pretty good basis. Um, it's like five and a half million or something like that for the 108 units. And so I called to book a tour and uh, long story shorter, I found out that there had been a couple of contracts that had fallen through due to um, you know very large retrades uh, because the property did have a lot of deferred maintenance. So I you know, explained to this broker that we were flippers, you know, classic contractors, had a property manager on my team, and that if they would accept the price that worked for us, that, you know, we absolutely would not retrade. I put it in the contract and did big, bold letters. Not that it necessarily would have held a ton of weight with a refundable EMD, but, you know, it's, I included it and was able to negotiate it down to a price of 3.95, which was just a screaming deal in that market. And uh, so we spent about 750,000 on CapEx and today the project's worth a little bit over nine. So uh, yeah, nice. nice. So that's, that's a good one to have a JV with three other guys, it's, you know, quarter partners each. Yeah, I just wondering, are you, are you planning to sit with it in cash flow for a while? Are you going to sell it anytime soon? So that's another thing uh, when it comes to like partnerships, it's good to understand everybody's motivation. Um, I was very blessed to surround myself with people that were a lot further down the path than I, a little older than I, and you know, all that good stuff, but our, our goals are a little different. So to answer your question, we're, our intention is to hold that one forever just because 
we're never going to see that basis again. The cash flow is fantastic. You know, if we ever needed it, we know that we've got some equity to draw on. If it was up to me, if I owned it myself, I would get out of it because there's just a ridiculous amount of equity in there, especially in the, the current market that I could redeploy into something that was a lot more passive, bigger, you know, to have a, a larger and better capitalized, you know, mortgage to pay down. So that's what I would do, but mm-hmm. you know, it's a partnership and everyone gets a vote depending on how you set it up. And, you know, it seems like the other partners want to just hold on to it, let it do what it does. And we'll revisit it in like 10 years. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you're a little newer in your investment journey, you want, you know, to really make every dollar of cash and equity you have at your disposal work as hard as possible. And, you know, if it were up to me, I would have those dollars working a little bit, a little bit harder. But when I brought these people onto my team, I seeded, you know, three quarters of the control. So I'm along for the, for the ride, basically. Yeah. Uh, it still sounds like a great, I mean, going from about 5 million, less than 5 million all in to 9 million in a couple of years. I mean, you're, you're right. That's, that's a screaming deal. That's, that's a grand slam right there. But uh, um, you do bring up a good point. You know, when, when you go into partnerships, you know, you got to make sure that everybody has, you know, the same goals. I mean, and that's, that's really part of, you know, an answer to your earlier question, Adam, about partnering is, you know, one thing you want to make sure is you have the same goals and same outlooks. Um, you know, otherwise, you know, and it sounds, Phil, it sounds like you're, you're good with where you guys are right now, but there could be situations where one person really wants to go a different direction than others. And it, it becomes ugly, but, uh, making sure you have similar goals really, really helps from the beginning. So. And, and it, just to clarify, it's not like that. It's just, mm-hmm. if it were up to me, yeah. I would go take a loan of say 70 or 75%. Yep. of our current value. And that's like a nice little chunk of cash to mm-hmm. go in to buy something new and it's all tax-free and that's great. Tax-free, um, it's refinance. Yeah. But there's also something to be said about being extremely low levered with a great loan and just mm-hmm. letting it do what real estate does. Yeah. You know, so it's just, yep. it's just different flavors, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've definitely heard of horror stories in the JVs, but uh, I mean, you're in a good spot. You know, I, I think that's uh, you're you're in a really good spot. So um, anyway, Adam, back to you. Do you got any other, other questions? Well, um, I guess another question would be related to creative financing. I think you mentioned earlier, you've done some seller carry back the note. Any interesting tips on how to get seller financing or any creative financing in general? So that one kind of dropped into my lap. I've done a couple other seller financing deals and you know, the sellers tend to be older and they tend to have, um, you know, a lot of tax exposure if they do a traditional sale. So it's sort of a calculus to how do I get them a cash flow that's similar to what they were receiving on their poorly managed mom and pop rental? And how do I actually make it work for me as a bridge loan that didn't need an appraisal, that didn't need a lot of you know, expensive third-party reports that I didn't require as part of my due diligence and a lot of lender fees. So then I, you know, go ahead and, and fix the building. We did a 20plex with that exact same kind of idea. Um, we bought it for 975. We put a hundred down, so very high levered. Um, the seller carried 
what, 875 at 4% interest for like three years or something for us. Mm -hmm. But in the second year, we went and sold it for for like 1.55. So like, you know, that was, that's a good, good result. Yeah. I mean, that's like 600% return. I mean, no big deal. No big deal. So, so we put, I think we put 150 into it. Oh, okay. So, so we're down I think to 300%. We, we were, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. really, I'm, terrible I'm, I'm embarrassed. Deal. I'm humiliated. Yeah. But yeah. The, the key is to understand what's important to the seller though. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's price. So if they want a high price, great. Like I want you to carry mm-hmm. 90% at a very reasonable interest rate. Then all of a mm-hmm. sudden you can, you can go a couple of years down the line and you've paid off some principal, you've done different things and, and it makes sense for you. The cash on cash will be where you need to yeah. be. And especially if there's a value add on it, but yeah, you know, figure, seek to solve their problem first is the succinct answer of how to do seller financing. I'm working on something like that right now with, uh, with one of my friends locally, you know, it's, it's not a four Oaks deal. It's a, it's a Brian Briscoe deal, but there, there's a seller who, uh, and Phil just, you know, described him perfectly older gentleman you know has as a, a high tax liability if he sells and he wants to do an owner carry you know we, we talked with him on the phone and there there's a lot of give and take you know the uh, there's a couple of things that he wants that we're not happy with but you know if, if we can if we, if we can do a little bit of give and take to make it work for both of us it's it's going to be a really really good deal but you know back back to what Phil said it's it's just a matter of figuring out what they want. And seeing if you can, you know, give a little bit on what you need to give them what they need just to make it work. So, you know, in this case, without letting, you know, too much information out, you know, the owner wants, you know, five to 10 years of guaranteed interest, you know, so that's typically, you know, prepayment penalty is kind of what he's looking for. So, you know, if we can make it work and to help him get, you know, his guaranteed income for that five years, you know, then and make it a good deal for us. It'll, it'll work perfectly. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the, the people I, I know that have done seller carries, you know, Phil nailed it on the head, people with ta- tax exposure, generally, you know, a little older than, than we are a little more gray in the beard than, you know, maybe I got, but that said, we're, we're about out of time now. So, so one question for each of you and, you know, Phil, I ho- hoping to hear a little more about uh, mission first, but uh, you know, how can people learn more about you and then tell us about mission first. Awesome. I can't believe how fast this flew by. This is fun. We could sit here for three hours. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, if, if uh, anything I said resonated with you and, you know, you want to kind of get into my universe, missionfirstcapital.com is the place. Uh, Mission First Capital is the first of its kind regulation A plus fund backed by real estate. That's 100% veteran owned and operated. And my goal here is to level the playing field with, you know, pri- uh, within private equity. It, um, it bummed me out as, you know, I, I continued to kind of ramp up my portfolio that all of my offerings, my military, you know, brothers and sisters, they were excluded because they didn't mm-hmm. have the net worth most likely of a million dollars or, you know, the income of a couple hundred thousand a year for, um, you know, 506C yeah. accredited offering. Um, and even if I was going to do a 506B and I had a $50,000 minimum, like that's a lot of loot for, you know, a young enlisted guy. Um, so, you know, the mission first, we rapidly reduced that minimum investment under regulation A plus 
Um, anyone can invest with us so long as it's not more than 10% of their net worth um, or their annual income. So the 98% of the population that was excluded from participating in private equity backed by real estate, guess what? You're welcome here at Mission First. And um, yeah, we'd love to love to have a conversation. So missionfirstcapital.com, check us out. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll yeah. see you over there. Yeah, I, I love it, you know, being being open to the masses, you know, uh, you know, and 506Bs do have still have a, a hurdle to get in because there's always that minimum investment. Um, part of the reason we've never done a 506C is for Oaks is because we want to open to more people. And I think funds like this, you know, expand it even further, you know, so, um, you know, much lower, you would say 5,000 minimum investment? 5,000. Okay. Yes. Five. Could I, I add mean, one that, more thing? One more thing, Brian, that I forgot. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty yeah. important, especially to a lot of your listeners who are cut mm-hmm. from you know our type of cloth. You know, I take the one hundred percent veteran-owned and operated thing pretty seriously. Um, I, you know, I'm sourcing deals in Hampton Roads, Virginia. That's my place, mm-hmm. right? Um, but my big hairy burning goal is to create a thousand veteran owned small businesses in the next 10 years. So -hmm. that's real estate as the, as the core and then to branch on from there. But where we're starting with mission first capital is if you're a veteran that comes up with a grand slam deal, like the one, you know, we just talked about Mm -hmm. instead of going in, you know, rallying up a JV, like I did or like Brian did, um, you know, come to us at mission first capital. And, you know, if it fits, our box, our wheelhouse, mm-hmm. we will JV with you um, on that deal. If you're a veteran or active duty, and we'll take care of a lot of the stuff that is hard to do. The equity, first and foremost, the senior debt, the accounting, the legal, the marketing, the investor relations. You just got to focus on getting a deal that's legit, looking in on the property manager, bringing the KPIs in that you know we agree to mm-hmm. and, the, and sort of the, the benchmarks and you know, you can potentially earn more equity than you would have if you did your own syndication. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a huge plus for a lot of people. Um, you basically, they find the deal meets your criteria, they bring it to you, and you guys negotiate. You know, how you facilitate work. huge, yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right, but you can still claim it; it's still your deal. We're just yep. partnering. You know, yeah. Yeah. So sweet. All right. So I'll make sure the information, that information makes it to the show notes. Uh, missionfirstcapital.com is where that's at. Um, Adam, same question for you. How can listeners learn more about you? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name's Adam Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y. And uh, you can email me at adam at goldriveninvestments.com. I'm sure Brian will drop it in the show notes. Yep. Love to hear Absolutely. from you. All right. Hey, well, thank you too much. Thank you too for, for coming on the show today. Um, Phil, like you said, you know, I, I could have talked with you guys for a long time, but my, uh, my, my clock's telling me that we need to move to something else right now. So appreciate your time guys. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at foroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show. So pull out your phone, tap subscribe and leave us a five star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week.